Welcome to the Freddie Mac Single Family CRT Cast, a series under the Home Starts Here podcast. Now, investors have a front row seat to conversations discussing economic and housing markets, portfolio management and analytics, servicing policy and credit risk management from Freddie Mac leaders and other industry experts. Hello, welcome to Freddie Mac CRT Cast. I'm your host, Mike Reynolds, and I'm very happy to continue our CRT Cast series with our special guests, Casey Wang, Senior Trader with Bank of America, and Jeffrey Ryan, Executive Vice President, Business Unit Leader, Financial Risk at Partner Re. Casey, Jeff, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad you're here. Hey, so before we uh, before we dive into our topic, which is really looking back at the evolution of 2023 20, markets, both from a reinsurance and capital markets perspective, Jeff, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what your role is at Partner Re? Yeah, no, thanks, Mike, and and thanks for having me. It's it's a real pleasure to be here today. So uh, I've been in the reinsurance space for about twenty eight years, and I've always been focused on non property and casualty products. So primarily in the credit space. So I, I joined Partner Re just over three years ago as the business unit leader for their financial risks group, which we define as uh, short term trade credit, surety bond business, political risk insurance, and of course mortgage. Um, I've had similar positions at various companies over th- my career, including 13 years at Axis, and actually started out in the primary surety on the side in 1991. So just a quick comment on Partnery. You know, we've been a supporter of CRT and MI transactions since 2013, so we have kind of a deep history in terms of the history of the CRT product and evolution. And, you know, it remains a real cornerstone of our business practice here at Partnery. So uh, we've been pleased to be big supporters over an extended period of time in this space and uh, have only positive things to say about it. So really glad to be here today. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Casey, t- tell us about your role at uh, Bank of America. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Hi, everyone. My name is Casey. I'm the CRT trader at Bank of America. Uh, I manage our CRT trading business on the RMBS desk, as well as Conduit AAA and Multifamily CRT on the CNBS desk. I graduated from Boston College, have been working in Bank America through several banking and trading roles, but I think this is the first time, at least in my career, that I'm hearing bonds are cooler than stock. Uh, so glad to be here to talk about market today. Thank you, Casey. It's a great point. Uh, I also went to school up in Boston, and in my finance, I was always stock, stock, stocks, and it's been like that forever, right, for the past couple of decades, frankly. And, but now it's a, we're a little bit of a different environment. But that that might be a slightly different topic, or maybe we'll touch on it towards the end. So, Jeff, what, what, why don't we start with you? Looking back on twenty three, what are some of the dynamics that you were that you were seeing at the beginning of the year? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Twenty twenty three started off, you know, an interesting manner for us because we saw negative HPA or house price depreciation for the first time in a while. And it was happening in you know a pretty dynamic rate environment with some macroeconomic uncertainty layered in. So, you know, we, we have a pricing model that we use to gauge this business. And the model reacted in a way that suggested exaggerated tail development. And that just didn't seem reasonable to us. So we paused our writings until we could figure it out. We maintain a fairly robust or a very robust governance process around our business that includes several key triggers one of which is our probable maximum loss amount, or PML, which we felt was largely overstated in our model. So as a result, we took the opportunity to review our model parameters to make sure we weren't missing anything. We also felt like that was a best practice for us. So in parallel, we were testing a new model, which was showing different and what we found to be more reasonable results in the negative HPA environment. And to make a long story longer, we did some rigorous back testing. We implemented a new model and a new PML framework, and we were comfortable returning to the space in Q2. 
all through that, we saw the strong credit quality metrics of the pools that were being placed, and they were attractive to us. And again, we were able to successfully redeploy our capital. So, so yeah, we likely missed a little bit of the market, but overall, we feel good about our work, our ability to provide accurate price discovery to people like you, and we continue our support of the CRT programs. We also feel really good about the positive performance of our Enforce book through 2023. So I think that the proactive management that Freddie Mac has put in place to solve for delinquencies and active remediation and, you know, high quality loan manufacturing has been very impactful to us. Yeah. And you covered a lot of ground there. And I thank you for the compliments for the underwriting and the practices here employed at Freddie Mac. That is absolutely a core component of our business. And that's what effectively we're selling in the credit markets is we are selling our ability to manage credit. You had said something called exaggerated tail development. And maybe some of our listeners might be like, well, what is that? And so that's basically along the lines of, and not to be specific to your situation, but just as a general statement, that's along the lines of when you do Monte Carlo simulation and you're putting volatility around like a mean path, you're going to have edges of that simulation. And so say, for example, if you normally expect home prices to increase 3%, the edges of your downside path might be your tail, might be say negative 25, something like that. But if you now go from 3% to say negative 5% or 8%, should your tail now go from negative 25 to negative 35 because your median moved or should it be, is your tail kind of should be more consistent? So I think that's generally speaking the, the concept when you were talking about exaggerated tail development, is that right? No, that's exactly right. And, and the problem is there was so much volatility in the deep tail that suggests that we're going to have unbelievably large losses. And we just didn't see that volatility as being reasonable. So I think that drove a lot of our thought process and a lot of the work that we did. And the good news is internally here, there was a buy-in from our management that this was just not correct. So at that point, we felt like digging in and trying to solve for that was really important. And I'm pleased to know that we had a reasonableness around this expected result. And, you know, it was bought into by all our key stakeholders here at Partnery. And, you know, as a result of that work, we were able to get our heads around it and continue to move forward. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of work. Uh, we had a lot of people involved, a lot of eyes on this, and uh, it was a good result. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Casey, let's turn it over to you. Uh, I think CRT has been one of the best performing assets, you know, through most of 2023. Can you give us a recap on the key drivers events that you see that have been happening throughout the year? Yeah, sure. I think, first of all, on fundamental, everyone sees the HPA year-to-date up over 5%. But I think uh, the biggest aha moment happened basically around the regional bank crisis back in March. The fact that we know fixed-rate lending is a zero-sum game. And and we know on one side, bank and central banks hold the maturity portfolio have these unrealized losses. Um, and then you look at the other side, is simply the unrealized gains for homeowner equity who locked in a 3% mortgage. So they're really just a QE winner in this cycle, and that's like a huge wealth creation. So in terms of pricing, regional bank crisis was a March event, and by mid-April, when we priced the Stacker 23 DNA 2 deal, the B1 class quickly rallied through the pre-SVB level, and that was a bullish signal to confirm the shift in sentiment in this market, and we've been on a rally ever since, essentially. The other big driver is the new issue of supply, and it's impactful in terms of technical in two senses. Number one, the year-to-day issuance number is $7 billion, which is only 30% of last year's record $22 billion issuance, or about half of the long-term average with four tenders and the monthly paydown were actually at negative supply before. 
The second order of impact on that supply dynamic is the power of forward guidance, really. Last year, investors viewed CRT as a short-term source of funding, given the liquidity and everything to deal with outflow, knowing that if they sell CRT today, they can buy similar profile back, given the frequent new issue window. Now this year is the opposite. It's the one sector with a good fundamental story, it's a decent carry for uncapped floaters, with not much supply this year and into next year, investors just think twice before selling, and that becomes a much better technical in itself. So, Casey, uh, the Stacker, our capital markets uh, product offering, is a floating rate instrument. And so, clearly, with rising rates and the curve steepening, like how has the macro curve steepening backdrop affected the sector? I think everyone kind of appreciate the uncapped floater aspect a lot more, just given where the front end of the curve is. I think in terms of where we are today, the next biggest driver is going to be when we see a bull steepener, and that's what's going to shift the money that's locked in the money market funds right now to bond funds, which will drive the next inflow for credit product. And so to that point, the, the inflows to the fixed income markets, I believe it's been pretty flat. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, well, I think a lot of the inflow is essentially going to money market funds on T-bills and everything, uh, as opposed to going to these credit funds at this point, just given that the front end is very attractive. Jeff, how about from your side of the business? How has the rising rate environment been impacting your view of the credit? Yeah, so I guess similar to Kessie, it's kind of a, a mixed bag, right? So, you know, it's been interesting for us as we continue to see house price appreciation in a rising rate environment. So HPA has material impacts to our model output. So for us to continue to see the supply and demand imbalance and the market continue to support home prices, it's impactful to our view on, on how we price these transactions. So, you know, overall risk factors as we see them continue to remain low, suggesting again that loan manufacturing quality is strong. So we view the affordability pressure and the combination of HPA and rising interest rates has created as well-managed by the market and helping keep our expected results within the range we would expect. Also to that point, you know, the downside, if there is one, and again, Kessie alluded to this, is the drop of issuance volume, you know, which is expected, you know, I guess given a rapid rate rise in 22, followed by continued increase in 23. So yeah, for us, we like this business to see the issuance volumes kind of move down significantly. And I think you said, we say 50% plus, but I think it's probably a little higher than that right now. That's certainly a natural flow of the, the market we're in. So we'll deal with it. I don't think it changes our risk appetite because again, we can see through the data that you send to us, see through the, you know, the high credit quality and low risk layering that's in these pools. So for us, that still feels very comfortable. So, you know, when we talk to our management team about this, the performance has been exceptional through COVID. It's been, you know, managed well through the interest rate rises. So, you know, now that the pendulum swung a little further than we may have liked it to, I think we're still in it. I think we still see the, the gain to be had internally as part of our product mix across our platform partnery. You know, mortgage continues to be a diversifying factor compared to our PNC businesses, and that's viewed positively. So with the low correlation that, that it has with our business. So yeah, we'd like to see more of it. It's just not here right now. That market will change too. Yeah. And I've talked about the COVID response in previous podcasts, but just to kind of cover that briefly again, I think that was a great example of a living servicing guide. So what is Freddie Mac doing? Freddie Mac has a servicing guide and we are constantly updating it. So 
for those in the fixed income space from years ago, you know, you'd have this concept of like, put everything down on a piece of paper and loans are going to be serviced the exact specific way. And of course, the challenge with that is you can't anticipate what's going to happen, the unexpected. And so with the emergence of COVID, you know, we took very successful forbearance strategies that were being employed in natural disasters. We made some adjustments to that and then deployed it nationwide. You saw forbearance and deferred payment plans in use like you've never seen before. Casey, I remember a year ago, one of the key challenges was the seasoning curve steepening, given the negative outlook on housing. How has the season curve evolved this year? Sure. To put it in context, in 2021, the B1 seasoning curve was around 100 bips. Then at the wide of last year, it widened to 400 bips, given people were growing bearish on the new issue pools. Now that has flattened to roughly just around 200 bips in secondary. So it's still steep versus 2021, but has retraced 70% of the steepening move from 2022. The single most important driver, aside from the fundamental, is really the B1 tender this year, which anchored a level on season B1 and unlocked a lot of the ERISA capital to rotate to newer vintage. To quantify it, just out of the 4 billion that's tendered this year, about 2 billion are seasoned ERISA B1s. That two billion alone drove several waves of ERISA fund reinvestment into secondary. And given the fact that 1920 B1s are not ERISA eligible and the investors are comfortable with the HPI LTV on the 21-22 pools, the reinvestment went to 21 B1s and 22 stacker M2s, which is a huge catalyst on the seasoning curve flattening move we saw this year. And so how is that dynamic and the other market dynamics, how has that impacted the investor base? Sure. I think on the new issue front, it's continued to be mainly driven by hedge fund across the stack, actually, even including M1. Meanwhile, the real money and insurance pockets have been net buyers in secondary on season paper. But just kind of going through the capital stack, uh, here's the biggest theme uh, per capital stack. On the M1As, we're hearing more and more relative value discussion on M1 spreads versus mortgage basis, as well as other AAA products like CLOs. On the M1Bs, we see the return of insurance demand, mostly for the NAIC1 rated stacker 2022 M1Bs. On B, we see two rotation trade as a theme for hedge funds. One is a selling ERISA B to buy new issue or selling B1s to buy B2s. And finally, on B2, this is very interesting. We saw the shift from a hedge fund only sector last year and earlier this year to now a pretty balanced mix of real money and hedge fund demand at the current level. Thank you, Casey. We try to keep these podcasts relatively short. So, Jeff, I'm going to come back to you. Do you have you know closing remarks and a general overview in the reinsurance market? Yeah, thanks, Mike. And uh, you know, for us, the reinsurance business overall, we've been seeing a hardening of sorts across our market call it for the past eighteen months or so, and it's been driven by the property casualty segment. You know, events like larger cats, more frequent cats, social inflation. They've been pushing up primary reinsurance rates in a lot of key classes. One of our most important conferences just finished in Monte Carlo, and I think it's fair to say that the market expects similar behavior for the upcoming January cycle and into 2024. So in our business, on the mortgage side, you know, we have been pricing on the risk-based characteristics, so we tend to have more of an expected loss view, which is largely not influenced by exogenous market factors. So the upshot for us is that we expect the business to continue to perform well. And when we think about that across our platform, it fits in well with what Partnery is trying to accomplish as we manage our own portfolio of business. So we're going to continue to compete for capital internally, and the mortgage business continues to be a bright spot for us. So, you know, 
the markets change, we see, you know, fewer refis and more, you know, primary purchase, really a primary purchase market is what we're dealing with now. That has some impact to how we view the expected results, but overall we continue to see a very favorable market in terms of performance. And that's gonna to continue to be important for us and for partnery as we as we manage our portfolio of risks. So Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Again, Casey, uh, any other topics that you want to cover before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. I, I think, uh, look, at the beginning of this year, we highlighted one theme as the uh, new issue to act uh, going higher uh, from the three WAC deals we've been seeing in 21-22. That was like the four-dimensional relative value framework. I think that GWAC relative value story will continue to play out next year. But another emerging theme, which I believe will dominate the secondary flow and relative value next year, is the 21-22 uh, semi-season deals. So just to quantify it, right now, CRT capital market is a 54 billion universe. If I take out the short season paper, the front pay M1s is roughly around 40 billion. Out of that 40 billion, half of the universe are the late 21 and the 2022 five-year call paper. These were the five-year weighted average life bonds at the new issue. Today is a three-plus year wall, and next year it will be two to two and a half year. So if we plot that on a chart of spread versus weighted average life, backed by wild season collateral, it will fit a lot of investors' pockets, especially on the real money side. On relative value, I could see these being compared to the M1s at new issue next year. So given these profiles makes up half of the CRT universe or 20 billion, it's going to drive a lot of the relative value discussion and trading activity, not just next year, but I think into 2025, 2026, as they get closer to the call date. So I think it's going to be fascinating to, to see how our, our market evolves in the coming years. And of course, the, the secondary markets that are available for the stacker bonds, stacker QSIPs is an aspect that's available in that space, not necessarily in the reinsurance space. But it's uh, well supported bo both on the primary, you know, for Casey, from you and your team at, uh, at Bank of America. But then, uh, as you're saying, the secondary trading has been a huge factor in that market, giving opportunities for investors to rotate in and out of what they see as a relative trade. So, uh, Casey, Jeff, thank you both. Appreciate the time that you're taking today and to prepare for today. And then just generally speaking, you know, your support for the businesses and, and investing in the business or in, uh, in trading support. Freddie Mac is an issuer needs partners like you. And so thank you again. And uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to Freddie Mac's CRT Cast, a series under the Home Starts Here podcast. Stay tuned and subscribe to catch additional interviews with key industry leaders and experts. Home Starts Here is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you rating, reviewing, and sharing with your network.